I want to do a little bit of a recap. Uh, we've been in this series titled Summer Glow Up. And we've had a bunch of amazing speakers come and, and share and open up God's word with us. So this morning you're stuck with me, but uh, I want to give a, a recap. What we've been looking at is that as followers of Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we enter into what is called the kingdom of God. And when we're in the kingdom of God, we are called to live by a new set of values and a mindset and behaviors but the reality is, is that for many of us, and I include myself in this, uh, we need some reminders of how to do that. Now, before we go any further, I need to get something off my chest. Um, have any of you, and maybe you haven't, but have any of you had trouble making ends meet lately? Um, I don't know about you, but think, I feel like cost of things has gone out like sky high the window. Last month, Heather and I sat down and we had what was called a family budget meeting. And if you don't have family budget meetings, you probably should, but we sat down and what we did was we looked at last month's spending and I looked particularly at our grocery and food bill. Yeah. <laughs> and when I tell you, I, I had a physical reaction to the number I saw. I was like, golly, this is crazy. Like, how are we even doing this? It's nuts out there. But for me in my house growing up, we did not have, particularly when I was younger, we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, so in my house, my, my parents never said it like that. Um, they used to, my, particularly my mom, she used to say is, in this house, we're smart shoppers. And that's because for my mom and my dad, they didn't want me growing up with the mindset of what we didn't have. They wanted me to grow up with the mindset of what we did have. But because we didn't have a lot of money, we became really good at garage sailing. Do we have any garage sailors uh, in the room? Yeah, okay, we have a few. Uh, for those of you that garage sale, you know the game, right? It usually starts during the week. You're going online, you're going in the newspaper, and you're scouting out, like, where's the best place going to be to garage sale? And then Saturday morning, you wake up early, and you know this if you're a professional garage sailor. When you head to the garage sale, you don't just pull over, right? What you do is you kind of slow down, <laughs> and you scope out the scene of like, is the item I'm looking for there? Like, is it just clothes? Is it furniture? But then every once in a while, you look and you see that table. You know the table I'm talking, the, the table that has the items that you're like, that is going to be what I need. And so you pull the car over, and then the games begin. The game of, I can't let anyone know that I want anything, right? And you roll up, and you do the awkward hello to the homeowner, and you start scoping out the scene, and you pretend like you're not interested, right? You're just looking around, of like, eh, maybe, maybe, you know? And then in the corner of your eye you see that item, right? And I'm gonna pretend like, this isn't sponsored by Barbie, but I'm gonna pretend <laughs> like I finally find that item I'm looking for. And so I see that item and, and again, I can't act like I actually want this. I go, mm, you know, maybe, maybe I'd be interested. And as you're looking, you, you notice that on this item, there isn't a price tag. Now, if you are a people person, that's not a big deal to you because you love talking to people. If you're anything like me who's an introvert, not having a price tag means there is an awkward conversation that is about to happen. 
So you pick up the item and it has no price tag, but you go over to the owner of the home and you, and again, you got to play it cool. You got to play it cool. You're like, listen, if somebody would be interested in this item, what do you think this item would cost? And you know, a lot of times there's like a negotiation that happens and you start, well, well what about this? And what about this? But every once in a while, when the owner knows the true value of the item, he drops a number that kind of puts you back a little bit. Like, like, what? How much is this? Like, I, I thought this was a garage sale. I didn't, I didn't think this was Target, right? And every once in a while, you have to go back and forth. And, and when you hear that number, you have a decision to make. Is what I have worth the cost of the item? And every once in a while, you, you kind of do the, do the stat and you kind of looking at what's in front of you and, and you end up making a decision saying, you know what, for today, for this time, th this item for me just feels too expensive for what I'm going to have to give up. And so what we end up doing is we place the item down, we turn around, and we leave empty-handed. Now, this is just a silly story about garage sailing. But today we're going to look at a story where a man approached Jesus with a question. And it is in fact probably the one of the most important questions that you could ever ask Jesus. But you see, after Jesus answers the question, hearing the cost of the response, this man walks away sad and disappointed. This man was on the brink of experiencing one of the greatest free gifts he could ever receive, but it would cause him to go all in for Jesus. This man would go on to ask the right question. He had a good question. He also was going to ask the right person being Jesus. But after hearing the right answer, and after having to weigh the decision of, of this, is this worth it for me? he ends up walking away and saying no. And so my prayer for you this morning, my prayer for you and I this morning is, is we won't be like this man. As Jesus answers the question that we're gonna look at this morning, my prayer is that you hear that question and instead of walking away sad and disappointed, you lean in to all that God has for you. So again, we're gonna be continuing in Luke 18. So we're gonna start in verse 18. And, and it reads like this. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow, we're kicking off again. This passage is kicking off with an incredible question. This is an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, famously, uh, this passage is called the story of the rich young ruler, and we're going to kind of work our way through it, and is captured in all three of the eyewitness accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to be looking at uniquely Luke. But who was this guy? It says it was a ruler. Uh, so when you take what it says in Matthew and what it says in Mark and what it says in Luke, and you put it all together, here's what we learn about this man. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Now, culturally speaking, this guy had it all together. 
If there was a summer glow up list for you to download, like if you went on Google and you downloaded a list of like all the things you needed to do, this guy checked all the boxes. He was wealthy, like awesome, wealthy. He was good looking, I'm gonna assume, right? He was good looking. He had his career all put together. This was a guy who had it all together. He had a good education. He had his 401k all buttoned up like he was ready to go. He had good morals and he had a good spiritual education. If there was Forbes magazine back then and there was like that top 10 under 30 eligible bachelors, like this guy would have been on that list. He had it all together, but he was missing one thing. And that was eternal security. And when he was presented with a question, or he said, listen, I have my whole life together, but when it comes to what happens next, my answer is a little bit fuzzy. Like if I were to ask myself the question, like if I were to die today, like what happens next? His answer was fuzzy. And if there's any answer to be fuzzy on, that ain't it. But you see, uh, Jesus would go on to answer his question, but we need to look at something. This man says um, he went to visit a good teacher. Now, some context here. What this man isn't saying is Jesus is good at teaching. He isn't paying Jesus a compliment of like, hey, I've heard the rumors, like you are good at teaching lessons or, or you're good at teaching wisdom. No, that's not what is happening here. Because when we look at the translation of the word good, this is like a really special word. This is a very unique word. In fact, it normally implies sinless or perfection. So for this man, Jesus was different, but he wasn't God. Jesus is saying, or this man is saying like, hey, you are a good, you, there's something unique about you, but for me, you are a good teacher. You are good at teaching lessons. You are good at giving wisdom, but for me, you're not God. And so Jesus references this man as a good teacher, but not as a good God. And that's important for us as we dive into the text today. And my guess is, is that some of you might even be here today, this morning, because you have a question like this. Or maybe you came into church at some point in your life because you started with the question of, hey, I'm living life, like I'm, I'm, I'm married or I'm doing my family thing or I'm, or I'm single, but, but when it comes to like what happens next, like what happens after I die, you know what, maybe I'm gonna wander through the doors of a church to kind of like figure out that answer. You know, for this guy, he knew there's something was missing in his life. And so he had the right question, right? He had the right question. He, he went to the right person. But now let's see what Jesus has to say of giving the right answer to his question. So in verse 19, it says this, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness honor your father and mother. And he said boldly, I have kept all of these things from my youth. Now, a couple of things here, and and this is critical. The starting point for the Christian faith is answering the question, who is Jesus? That is the starting point for the Christian faith, is you answering that question of who is Jesus? And Jesus catches this man looking for a savior 
but not a Lord. So Jesus says to this man, hey, why do you call me good? You don't consider me God. You don't consider me God, so I thank you for that compliment. Like, I'm, I'm thankful that you called me good, but that compliment is meaningless because you and I have a different definition of what good really means. So what is God's definition of goodness? Well, we kick off in this passage, uh, Jesus goes on to list some of the Ten Commandments, right? He lists um, adultery. He lists murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. The interesting thing here is Jesus lists the Ten Commandments that have to do with how you and I relate to one another. What he does leave out is how you and I relate to God. Now, most people, when you would read this list, it is immediately disqualifying. Like for a lot of us, we read that, it's a disqualifying. And even more so, when Jesus came, he took these commandments and he amplified them. He says that, have you ever thought angry about someone or murdered someone in your mind? Then you actually murdered them. I think I did that three times on the parkway last week. Like, I'm, I, I'm guilty. Have you ever looked at someone with lust or, or another person uh, in your mind? Then you're guilty of committing adultery. Have you ever wanted your neighbor self-guilty? So for me, I'm looking at this and I'm guilty, 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 guilty already. But for this man... With boldness, and I would say a fair bit of arrogance says, Jesus, I'm good. Like, like, like Jesus, I have kept all of these things for my youth. I'm good. Now, here's something we need to understand. Being good does not save you. Faith in Jesus is what saves you. Or maybe I need to say it like this. Good people go to hell, saved people go to heaven. Amen. Now, this is a challenging truth, but it is true. And I believe it is one of the greatest lies the enemy tells us, is that you're good. Is that we, like, like listen, we're good when scripture will tell us that no one is righteous, no, not one. And then we read in Romans that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And maybe at some point in your life, you've presented someone with the question of like, hey, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? And normally the response is like, oh, don't worry, I'm good, right? Like, like I'm good, like I'm, I, I have my life together, like I haven't done a lot of bad things. And, and that's because our definition of what good means is slanted, and sometimes it's even in that comparison game. Well, like, I'm doing okay, but I'm doing way better than the weird neighbor down the street. So compared to him, I'm good. And this is what we need to understand. Our goodness, our greatest acts of goodness, our greatest acts of sacrifice, when compared to Jesus, pale into comparison of his goodness and his holiness. You see, our lack, our lack of perfection separates us from a relationship with God. Our lack of being good, our lack of being perfect separates us from experiencing eternal life. Good isn't good enough. You see, the law and the Ten Commandments were given to us as an illustration for the standard of heaven. And the standard of heaven is perfection. 
And no one in this room measures up to God's standard. But to this man, he's getting excited. Oh, hearing these Ten Commandments in boldness and a little bit of arrogance, he says, no, Jesus, I am good. I have kept all of these things from my youth. So Jesus, hearing this, says, you know what? I need to maybe help this guy along a little bit more and, and show him the reality of his situation. So Jesus goes on in verse 22 and he says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have your treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus seeing that he had Become sad, said, how difficult it is for those that are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, an important thing here we need to see. Um, you need to understand the tone of what's happening here. Because on first read, what it kind of looks like here is Jesus has created a gotcha moment. Like he hears this man with a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of boldness and he turns around and he says, disciples, like, come over here, watch what I do. And then he puts this mic drop moment of, well, one thing you still lack and Jesus is like, oh, I got him. Like, what a loser. Like, this guy's not seeing it. That's not what's happening here. Because if you read the account in Mark, it says that Jesus said these things in love. Jesus loved this man. Jesus cared for this man. And Jesus wanted this man to see something very critical about his life. Jesus basically asked this man the question of what has your heart? Like, like what has your heart? What has control of your heart? And, and for this man and for this man's heart, money had control of his life. Now, there are two bad ways to look at this text. There are two bad ways to look at it. The first one, it has nothing to do with money. That's the first bad way. This has nothing to do with money. The second way is it has everything to do with money. What Jesus is doing here is he's putting a spotlight on this man's heart, and he's shining a light on his heart asking, what is Lord of your life? And for this man, it was his wealth. And the reality is, we can't get too judgy because for some of us, we might be just like this man. And you want to know that I know that a lot of us struggle with money? Because as a pastor, I know that if I even mention the word money in this room, half the room tunes out. Why? Because Money is so important to us, and we have this mindset of like, well, I worked hard for this, and I've developed this, and like, when anyone starts talking about money, I don't care who it is, when anyone starts talking, I get a little tense, eee, don't talk about it, because it has control and access to our life in really important ways, ways that only should be given to God. Jesus would be later asked, what is the greatest commandment? Like, we've talked about some commandments, what, what is the greatest one? And Jesus would go on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And for many of us, 
We might love God with our heart, but when it comes to our mind, like, eh, I'm not there yet. Or some of us, we might love God with our mind, but we haven't given God our soul yet. We haven't given God our whole heart yet, much like this man. Because there are areas in our life we haven't allowed Jesus to be Lord over. There are areas of our heart we haven't given over to God yet. And that was the challenge for this man. It says in Romans, um, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Savior. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is a good teacher. Nope, doesn't say that either. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is a wise man that I need to look up to. It doesn't say that either. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is a free gift from God. There is nothing we can do to earn it, but only receive it through faith in Jesus. But it requires complete surrender to him. And Jesus is teaching this man a critical lesson, and I believe he's teaching you and I an important lesson this morning. That salvation is free. It is a free gift. You can't earn it. But Jesus just can't be our Savior. He also has to be our Lord. Because here's what it looks like for you and I. Oftentimes, when we think about our life, I want you to imagine that your life is this house. Shout out to Peyton for allowing me to borrow her dollhouse. I want you to imagine that th like, this is your life. And for many of us, maybe we have an encounter with Jesus at a church setting like this, or, or maybe we're sitting with coffee with someone, or, or we watch something on TV, and we finally get to a place of being like, man, I am ready to give my life to Jesus. And so we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to experience salvation. I want to experience all that you have for me. You can have some of my life. Like, like for some of us, it's like, Jesus, you can have my, you can have my, my marriage and, and you can have my, my kids and, and, and you can have, you can even have maybe my career, but you can't have my calendar. Like, like, Jesus, you can have it all. Jesus, I love you. But like, you got to leave, like this room, this room I'm going to leave for me. So if you could just, just keep walking past down the hallway, like that, that's fine. You can leave that. Now, for some of us, it might be another, like, Jesus, you can have my career, you can have my calendar, but you can't have my marriage. You can't have who I date. You can't have my singleness. You can't have who I value. Like that area of my life, my relational aspect, like that's just for me. Jesus, you can be Lord of every other aspect of my life, but, but you see, I need control of that area. And the reality is, if some of us, we don't even let Jesus in the house. We say, Jesus, I love you. You're cool and all. You can have the doormat. You can have the doormat of my life, but I'm not ready to allow you to control and, and surrender every area of my life and, and allow myself to feel your presence and allow myself to experience your fullness and allow myself to experience goodness in every area of our life. And so what Jesus is trying to teach this man and what Jesus is trying to teach you and I today is we need to get to a place of saying, no, no, Jesus, you can have my whole heart. 
You can have my whole life. There is not a room in my life. There is not a room in my heart that you don't have access to because I want to experience your goodness and I want to experience your faithfulness and your peace, not just some of my life, but all of my life. But what happens, maybe we got to a point of surrender right? We, we, it was years ago, right? We gave our life to Jesus, and it was exciting. And, but then over time, what was once surrendered, um, maybe we were praying about something, right? We were praying about something. We were agonizing over something. There was some, maybe it was our kids, or maybe it was an expectation, or, or maybe it was a relationship, or maybe it was our relationship status. Like, we were praying and praying and praying, and, and God didn't seem to be working quick enough. Or maybe the way you thought God should have answered that prayer didn't meet your expectations. And so, so what ended up happening is what was once surrendered, what was once Jesus had access to, you said to Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if I trust you in that area anymore. And maybe we don't use those words, but you say, Jesus, I'm going to need to take that key back. Uh, Jesus, you need to leave that room because I have fear and I have pride and I have broken expectations and, and you're not working quick enough and I know I should be patient, I know I need to wait on you, but Jesus, it's not working out for me. I wanna, I wanna share with you a story. Um, many of you know uh, that Heather and I recently announced uh, that we're having a baby boy. And, uh, yep, so excited, so excited, so excited. Now that's exciting, but some of you may not know that a year ago, Heather and I had a miscarriage. And I would love to tell you as a pastor that I handled that moment really, really well. You see, in that time of my life, uh, the year before that, I had had a lot of people in my heart and in my life that passed away passed away what I felt was too early. And I had, uh, I lost a, a mentor and I lost a friend and it was just like one thing after another. My heart was kind of, I was like, God, my heart is hurting, but I'm trusting you. And then February came and we got the news that we were having a baby and I was so excited, it was new life. And then we went to the doctor for the first time and we got blood work done and the doctor said, oh man, everything is looking so good. It's looking great. And you know, you try to protect your heart, but then like in those moments you start giving in and you're like, man, I'm starting to get excited. I'm starting to feel that joy. And then we had our first ultrasound. I remember sitting in the doctor's office, just excited to see a picture and an ultrasound of my, our child. And, uh, as the ultrasound tech is getting ready, she says, hey, you know, have you guys had any issues first pregnancy? And we're like, no, everything's fine. And as she started doing the scan, she said, um, you know what, I think I need to get a doctor. And if you've ever been in a moment like that, those are the moments that you know. And we ended up losing that child and I would love to tell you that I just had that perspective of like, well, God works all things together for those that love him. And like, I trust God and everything's gonna be okay with God. But for me in my heart, this was the final straw. 
And in, in a season for me, I just became so angry because I had trusted God, I had waited on God, I was praying to God, but then it got, this moment didn't match what I was expecting. And so I said to Jesus, and in a moment of anger, like, Jesus, I can't, I, can't, I can't seem to trust you in this area anymore. And it became a season of just being angry and being bitter. And I had a lot of men in my life kind of praying for me and speaking into me. And then it was Monday during the week. I think we were doing some stuff at the church and got in the car and I was driving home on the parkway. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this with God, but I was driving home and I just started yelling at God. I just started praying and I just started dumping on God of like, God, I can't believe this happened. God, my heart is broken. God, how could you let this happen? God, and I just started over and over just rehearsing to God what was going on inside of me and what was going in my mind and what was going in my heart and what was going in my soul. And as I finished, I can't tell you that I heard the voice of God, but I most definitely felt the presence of God. And I felt just that moment of God saying, I know you're angry. I know you don't feel like you can trust me. But when you're ready, I'm here for you and I care for you and I love you. And that moment was a process for me of just laying it down before God saying, God, I can't hold this anymore. And here's what we need to understand is that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our heart. Not just some of our heart, but all of our heart. And if there is an area of your life that maybe for whatever reason you have taken back, maybe this morning you need to get to a place of saying, no, no, I surrender everything. No, Jesus, you can have my whole heart. You don't just get a room in my house. No, you get the whole house because Jesus paid for your life with his life. Jesus put everything on the cross and he has the nail print hands to prove it. That he is worthy of our trust and that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and he sees you and he sees you valuable. And he knows that area of your heart that you have been holding on to and he's saying to you right now, it's time to let it go. So let's finish up to see what he says. Verse 26, it says, for those who heard it, then who can be saved? But he said, Jesus, what is impossible for man is possible for God. And Peter said, I love Peter, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left her house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more in this time and the age to come. Peter and the disciples were worried in this moment because they looked at this man who was considered good. And they said, if this man is having trouble, what hope is there for us. And here's the lesson. There is hope. Because what is impossible for you and I is possible for God. 
Inheriting eternal life isn't just a prayer we pray, it's a free gift we receive in putting our faith and trust in Jesus and not declaring him just savior of our life, but declaring him Lord of our life. It is getting to the point of saying, Jesus, you're not just my savior, but you're also my Lord. And so here's our big thought for the text today is that eternal life demands our whole heart. And some of you in this room today, and I've been in season like this, we might be in a place of, Jesus, you can have some of my heart. Or maybe you've never gotten to a place of giving Jesus your life and you've been playing one foot in and one foot out and Jesus is saying, no, to experience all that I have for you. It's not just living one foot in and one foot out, but it's giving me everything and allowing me to work in your life and allowing me to show you my presence and allow you to show me, show you everything I have for you. So here's my challenge. It's asking yourself the question of does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? For some of you this morning, you might be in a place of, well, well, I don't think I've ever given Jesus my heart. Maybe I've given him parts of my heart. Maybe, maybe I, I, you know, I do the church thing and I do the Bible thing, but like I've never come to a place of saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, you are more than a good teacher. Jesus, you are more than just a Sunday thing. You are in everything. And maybe for some of you, you need to come for the first time maybe ever of saying, Jesus, no, 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 no. I am declaring with my mouth that you are Lord and believing in your, my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and I can experience eternal life. But my guess is that some of you have gotten to that place, but there is a room in your heart that is unsurrendered. And what I want to challenge you is you will never experience all that God has for you is he has rooms one through nine, but he doesn't have room 10. And so I want to challenge you this morning is can you come to a place, even with an, maybe it's an angry pair of prayer of God, God, I'm giving this over to you, God, you didn't meet my expectations and God, I'm hurting and I'm angry. I promise you God can handle those prayers. And so maybe this morning you need to maybe for the first time say, God, I am giving you everything. I'm putting all my chips in. God, I'm going all in for you. God, I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of being bitter. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of being afraid. And God, I'm just gonna trust you with every area of my life. Will you do that today to experience God's goodness and experience God being your true refuge for your whole heart? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray in this moment. God, I pray for those in the room that have never placed their faith and trust in you as Lord of their life. God, I pray in this moment that they will come to a place, even in the quietness of their seat, of just saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the details, but I know that I have a sin problem that I can't fix on my own. I am not good but Jesus, you are good. And God, I'm thankful that I can rely on you and trust in you and make you Lord of my life. God, I pray for those in the room that have an area of their heart that is unsurrendered. God, I pray that man, whatever stronghold is building up in their heart, God, that you will break down that stronghold.
and that we can be men and women that trust in you and rely on you. And whatever work your spirit needs to do in our hearts, God, please do it right now. Because Jesus, we want to be men and women who aren't living one foot in and one foot out, but we are men and women who have given you our whole heart. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen.